0: you to take your copy of the scriptures and we return to paul's letter to the romans romans chapter one romans chapter one and we are in our fourth message on the topic of the execution of god's wrath the execution of god's wrath and this is part four let us begin reading in verse 24 romans one beginning in verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also, the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Verse 28, we're going to pick up right here this morning. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, and notice this inventors, inventors of evil things, disobedient. To parents, undeserving, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Verse 32, who knowing, who knowing the righteous judgment of God. That those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but approve of those who practice such things. Our Father, we pray for the help of your Spirit. Be with us as we hear your word and as we study the Scriptures. We pray for your word to go forth with power as you have promised. Give us understanding, work in our hearts to not only hear but to believe and receive your word. That it would strengthen and sanctify your people. And it would come with power, the power of the gospel to save those who are apart from Christ. So be with each of us. Help us to be attentive and to hear. And be with me as I speak. I pray for the unction of your spirit, for Christ's name, for his glory and the good of his people. Amen. You may be seated. In the past few weeks, we have, we have worked our way uh, our way through Romans chapter 1, and we're heading toward the end now, and we have been in this chapter with great weight. I, I, in fact, I compared it to uh, the last number of weeks that Paul has backed up the truck like a dump truck and dumped a ton of bricks upon us. It's, it's come with gravity and with force, but we've seen and been confronted concerning the gravity of humanity's Rebellion against God and our rejection of God's revelation and the execution of God's wrath against all ungodliness. It comes with great weight. In fact, in our our present day setting, the words of the apostle are not received well. But this is the word of God. And God would have us to hear his word, to learn from his word, and for his word to come with power into our lives. That it would strengthen and prepare us to witness to the culture around us, to those whom we love, and to receive it savingly. To be confronted in our sins. And so we've seen here, he's been dealing primarily, since verse 18, he's been dealing with the pagan nations, those that have been without the gospel. And now the gospel is going forth to the nations by the commission of Christ to the apostles and that they were to understand their sinful state and their great need of the gospel. But before we... Develop pride in our own hearts. As we will eventually move into chapter 2, we'll see that Paul will make it clear that even those that are religious and they're attempting to keep the law, they're actually, if they are apart from Christ, they are religious but lost. And so it's Christ alone. It is the power of the gospel that saves. Understand that this passage that we have been Working our way through is not only a glimpse into the wickedness of the world, but it's also, it also reflects the sinfulness that still exists in our hearts or in the fallen culture of the sinful hearts of modern-day man. Mankind has not, we have not morally progressed and put behind us the wicked behavior that's listed here in this passage. We have not. As I mentioned recently. We have not evolved. But the Bible teaches that in fact. Man continues to devolve. Into rebellion and sin. The truth is. As we read this passage. And we consider a modern day setting. The truth is that in fact. We've become increasingly experts. Experts. At sin. And collectively, and collectively, we live in a day when nation states embrace and promote the behavior that we see here in this passage. Many of these sins that are here that the using the many of the sins that are found here and using the language that we read this morning uh, from our catechism in question 88 are more are, are there more heinous sins in the sight of god and the answer is what yes there are there are heinous sins sins that are high-handed sins sins that are exceedingly Wicked, And the reality is, is that as we have moved through this passage and continued this morning, there is not, let me be clear, there is not an individual in this room. In fact, there is no one on the face of this planet who has that can make their way through this passage unscathed. Again, as we have confessed this morning from the old catechism, question 89, what does every sin deserve? Answer, every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. And that's what Paul's been teaching us. That's what Paul wants us in all to understand, that we might see our need of the gospel. Or as Paul would word it in chapter 6 of Romans, for the wages of sin is death. This is the sinful state of man. We are totally depraved. While we may not be as bad as we could be, the effect of the fall has touched every part of our being, our heart, our will. And this morning we will see even the mind the way that we think. Spurgeon described, Spurgeon described the pervasiveness of our sin as salt, as salt in the ocean water. He said it like this, quote, As the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived, he says. Now, let's move to our passage. And let's notice the teaching here. Concerning the wrath of God, the wrath of God, the judgment of God upon our sin and guilt. Here we see the execution of God's wrath. If you recall, we've noticed along the way that the execution of God's wrath is seen in our passage by a threefold repetition. The apostles putting emphasis on this. Fallen man's rejection of God. He wants us to understand it's not without consequence. As we've seen in verse 24, look at verse 24. In verse 24, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts. That was the first of this, this judgment of God, the wrath of God that's evidenced in this giving up of fallen man, this reprobation. In verse 26, God gave them up to vile passions. And these were those vile and unnatural and shameful passions that we've seen. And now we come to verse 28 and God gives them over to a debased mind to to do those things which are not fitting. All of this, as it has unfolded verse after verse, we've watched this happen in his list of sins and vices, all of this This giving over, this judgment upon us because of our rebellion to God has resulted. It it leads to a pinnacle that we are accomplishing and doing things that are not fitting, are proper as those that are created in the image and likeness of God. And so now we come to verse 28. Verse 28. The third, the third, God giving them up. So number one this morning is that third point there of Paul giving us up, giving fallen man up and reprobation. In verse 28, God gave them over or up to a debased mind. Look at, look at verse 28. And even, even as they did not like to retain God, notice the language here, in their knowledge. It has to do with thinking, knowledge, the mind. Because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, look what happens. God gave them over, gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Again, we have a language, language of a judge, and this, this sentence, this judicial act of God where he gives sinners over to pursue their fallen lust. And they just continue down this downward spiral of sin. In this case here in verse 28, because sinful man did not like to retain God in their knowledge or acknowledge Him, He, that is God, gave them over to a, and your Bible's a word it different ways, He gave them over to a debased or depraved, Or some of your Bibles will say a reprobate mind. That is, it's now affected the mind in such a way that the fallenness of man's mind is a mind or a way of thinking that lacks, it lacks sound or moral judgment. John Gill commenting on Paul's words here. Gill says this, he said, they had some knowledge of God. They had some knowledge of God by the light of nature and yet did not care to retain God in their knowledge or to own and acknowledge him as God, to worship and to glorify him as such, but took, listen, listen to what he says here, but took every method to erase this knowledge out of their minds and to keep others from it. quote. And notice the last part of verse 28. That this debased mind it leads it leads to to things which are not fitting. Are, are doing things that are not proper or things that ought not to be done, is what he's saying. So, the mind of the fallen man, the depraved mind, the man's mind apart from Christ, and especially those that are given over in reprobation, the depraved mind, the reprobate mind, is incapable of discerning what is right and good. It's unable to make a sound moral judgment. So, it chooses that which is improper, it chooses wickedness that actually leads to destruction. Paul used the same language to describe, to describe the state that we as Christians were in before we came to know Christ. In Ephesians, five, uh, Ephesians 2, listen to Ephesians 2, verse 3. Ephesians 2, verse 3. He says, and among whom we all, he's speaking of the Ephesians, he's speaking of Christians. Remember, we were like that. We all, he says in Ephesians 2, 3, once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, by nature, children of wrath, just as the others. We only differ. We'll see this later as we get to chapter 9 in Romans. We only differ from others because of the grace of God. And so God gave them over to a debased mind. Verse 28. So we've been turned over to the lust of our hearts and affections, fallenness. The will, the heart is wicked. And now Paul is telling us even the mind is fallen and depraved that we can't even properly discern right from wrong. Now in verse, next in in 29 through 31, the apostle moves, he moves from there and he moves through what you might call a catalog of sins. That's what I'm calling the second point here, a catalog of sins that this, here we see what the depraved mind embraces. These are those things that are not fit at the end of verse 28. Do the, they will do those things which are not fit. And then he begins to list. This catalog of sins or vices. Notice in verse 29. What do they do that's not fit? Being filled with all, not righteousness, but unrighteousness. Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, They're whispers, backbiters. Notice this. They're not indifferent toward God, but they're haters of God. Violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. These are strong words, and while we're not going to walk through each word this morning, we have the idea of what he means here. And this list, this catalog of sins, and though the sin, the list here it's not exhaustive by any means, it's not exhaustive, but they illustrate to us behavior that arises. From a fallen heart and a depraved mind. This is what humanity looks like when it rejects God and it's left to itself. This list is representative of individuals, but also of a culture like the ancient. Pagan cultures of Paul's day, but also of our day. God's word here is describing our present state. And then, number three, verse thirty two. They know, we know, they know the righteous judgment of God. Look at verse 32, who knowing, knowing we are without excuse. Hasn't Paul already told us that? Knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Despite, despite their fallen knowledge, our fallen, despite our knowledge of God's judgment and wrath against these things like this list of sins, what does fallen man do? He continues in them. He continues in them. He runs the race. And he, he not only continues in them, in knowing this is the judgment of God and that, that this is deserving of death, he not only continues in them, that fallen man... Will approve of those who practice such things. This, this approval indicates that this is a deep seated rebellion against God's moral order. So we've worked our way from verse 18. To verse 32. And have watched this unfold. Let me say a few things concerning this. And the way of application here. And what Paul is doing. He began the gospel in 16 and 17 of chapter 1. He's going to pick it back up in chapter 3. But his goal is is for us to see the fallenness of humanity. The wrath of God upon us as fallen creatures. His goal is that we would see our great need of the gospel. This passage should call and stir each of us in this room to go to God to cry out to God in prayer and to ask Him to examine our hearts, to examine our lives for areas where we have clearly rejected God's truth. And I'm saying this to Christian and non-Christian alike. This passage should drive us to a place of repentance as as we saw earlier this morning as we confessed it in the catechism again repentance is a is a work of, of of a work of God whereby grace he he opens our eyes to our sin he opens our eyes to our guilt and then we As he opens our eyes to our sin and guilt, the grace of God in repentance comes to us and we not only see our sin and guilt, but his grace opens our eyes that we rightly see grace and mercy of God that are found in Christ alone. God in in the saving grace of repentance causes us to see the sinfulness of sin, to abhor it, To turn away from it. Endeavor to walk in newness of life that's found in Christ alone. And repentance is not just a a one-time act or event that happens when we're converted. It's a continual, like faith in the Christian life, it's a continual posture of humility before God. Again, if you have not taken this passage seriously, we'll eventually move to chapter 2 where Paul will remind us of this again where he says in Romans 2, verse 4, notice the words, Romans 2, verse 4, Are Do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Verse 5, But in accordance with your hardness of your impenitent or unrepentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation in the righteous judgment of God. And so as we work through this weighty passage, it should call all of us to pause To consider God's word, to cry out to God, open my eyes that I may see my great need by seeing my great fallenness and the depth and the breadth of it, of that deserving of wrath and judgment. And that you might open my eyes to see the mercy and grace found in Christ. And while this passage highlights the depth of human sin, it is pointing us to the absolute necessity of the gospel. Only, listen clearly, only through the transformative power of the gospel. Will we be delivered from a debased, depraved mind and way of thinking and be renewed in the image of Christ? Again, look at verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the the power of God to salvation. To everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. It is the power of the gospel that renews, that transforms, as Paul would write to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. And old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. It's there in the gospel where there's not only this renewal that takes place, but there is found in it true forgiveness Forgiveness is found in the gospel. Your sins, all of your sins, can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ through his death on the cross. As we find in John's gospel through the words of the Baptists, it is Christ, he who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And it's there that our faith must rest and be placed in the person and the work of Christ on the cross for eternal life and forgiveness of sin. It is there. It is there as we look at these sins through this passage, as it has exposed the depth of our sin, realize as it has exposed the depth of our fallenness, as we move to the gospel in chapter 3, it magnifies the grace and mercy of God in Christ. It shows us the great work of Christ that has rescued us from wrath and condemnation. It shows us how He's delivered us from the the kingdom of this fallen world into the everlasting kingdom of His Son. And that's good news. So, this morning, don't despair. But turn to Christ. Turn to Christ and His glorious gospel by faith and be saved. If you find yourself in this list of sins that we have been moving through, acknowledge sin for what it is. Sin. Acknowledge sin for what it is. Rebellion. Acknowledge sin for what it is. Disobedience to your maker. And acknowledge and realize that God, your creator, your maker, your redeemer, offers forgiveness and reconciliation to all that would turn to him and be saved. And so here, in Him, we find life. And life eternal. And the Son, who has saved us from the wrath of God. Delivered us from the penalty of our sins. And brings us into His everlasting kingdom. By faith alone, a gift from God's grace in the giving of His Son. His Son alone. On the cross for our sins. That's good news. So not only should we pray and examine our hearts, that we might find ourselves in a state of confession of sin, turning from sin, and clinging to the cross. Or maybe some of you, for the very first time, you can be saved this morning and flee to Christ and be saved. But we should also be in a state of thanksgiving and praise We realize the depth of our depravity and how God has saved us. And given us life in his son. Now, there's the gospel. There's this passage we're in so far. I want to address a few more questions. I've been saying along the way, I want to address some of these things. Because where we have been has been so relevant. To our current setting. So, how did, how did Western civilization, how did Western civilization, which was once immensely, as we could maybe use the word Christianized, so rapidly decline and become identified with Paul's description of Romans? How did much, how did much of the visible church come to embrace or become soft concerning the sinful behavior found in Romans 1? Well, let me say this. First, first we saw last week that biblically speaking what what has happened is that sin and depravity in mankind has rejected the original intent of the creative order. The opening chapters of Genesis have been turned on its head. And fallen man has listened and embraced the false word of the serpent. You remember that from last week? We pointed out Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said? A questioning of God's word In Revelation 12.9, we learn who the serpent is. And his continual work in this fallen world, where it says in Revelation 12.9, So the great dragon, the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old, there it is, That serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, now listen to the language, who deceives, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And so the the creative order, man, image bearer, man made to worship and glorify God, man made to rule over the earth, man made to be fruitful and multiply male and female, he made them in his image. Man in sin rebelled against the divine order and has rejected it. And from then even to this day, primarily, biblically, at the root of it, is this right here. The rejection of that which is by creative order. That which is by nature. That's why Paul used that language. It's unnatural. It's unnatural. But you can listen to last week's, uh, hopefully we'll have that up soon, last week's message and the week before concerning something more in-depth on that topic. But let me move. Let me move to the next thing. That is what we see biblically. It's moved from Genesis into our present day. What's happening in our current setting? Because we need to understand it if we are to address it properly. I mean it's like a doctor properly diagnosing a disease to properly treat it, right? Let me move through a few items. Because there's there's more than what we could cover uh, just in this amount of time we have left. In fact, an equipping class that we do early in the morning would be good on this topic. But let me say this. One, if you're wondering what has happened, what is going on? One, let me say this. Concerning the visible church, that is the church that... When you drive down the road and you see a church building, and it's got the name "church" on the door, and I'm not telling you what is a. Uh, I'm not telling you that all of those are churches biblically. I'm just saying they have "church" on the on the name, on the on the sign, and this is the visible church. They're claiming to be Christians at least. Concerning the visible church, I would say this: that this moral collapse, this moral collapse that we are witnessing has ultimately been has been the result of turning away from the Bible's authority and the life of the church and the individual believer. It's all about the word of God. It always is. It is the serpent questioning, has God said? It's about the visible church caving to the deceit of the devil. It has come about by a lack of a steady diet in the church of expositional preaching on a weekly basis, moving through a text, not skipping anything, being confronted by the hard and strong truths of God's word week after week after week. It really is this simple. Listen to Paul giving us the apostle. He anticipates He anticipates this, and he gives us the antidote to false belief, to false doctrine, to the collapse of morality. When he says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2 through 5, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, listen to this. You know what he says to Timothy? Three words. Preach. Somebody finish it. Preach the word. That's what he says. Preach the word. Listen to this. Be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Verse three, for a time will come, he says, for a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, Timothy... You man of God, you elders in the church, you minister of of the gospel, you be watchful of all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The end of chapter 3, where he talks about the God-breathed word and moving into chapter 4, all of that is about this very thing. The word of God is sufficient. It gives us the answer. And we are in a time, we're witnessing. It appears that every Christian communion, every Christian denomination, it appears, is fighting for its life. And it typically revolves around, or ultimately will go back around, to this issue concerning the authoritative Word of God. Will it have first place in the life of the church and the believer? It's that simple. It's not complicated, but the devil wants to make it complicated. Secondly, Paul in chapter 1 unfolded, listen to this, the downward spiral of sin and depravity. It began, you remember, it began with a rejection of the revelation of God. You remember verse 2? I mean verse 20. Chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. He began with a, this, this word of a rejection of God, of the revelation of God in creation. And that rejection of God leads to, do you remember, idolatry. False worship. And that distorted view of God are an embracing of false gods and idolatry, which in turn, it led to a distorted view of human beings as image bearers of God. And it leads to, you remember those verses? To a sinful use of our bodies And then eventually to a debased or depraved way of thinking, where we continue to be flushed down the drain of depravity. Again, it's a rejection. Of the revelation of God. The truth of God. The word of God. It's a rejection from the two books. The book of nature. General revelation. And the book of God's word. Special revelation. The scriptures. They reject both. Thirdly. What has taken place from the beginning. Remember, the evil one plays the long game. He's for the long game. He has observed us for thousands of years. He knows us. He knows what pushes our butt. There has been, thirdly, a slow march and progression especially in our current setting in the west how did we get from a, what we might think of as a Christianized civilization and we could talk about that what that actually means and doesn't mean but how did we get from that to what we are witnessing today there's been a slow march and progression and affecting the way that we think and understand rather than our minds being renewed by the scriptures, we have been and are being shaped by the surrounding culture. In Romans 12, again, the apostle addresses this in Romans 12, verse 2, in Romans 12, verse 2, he tells us, And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not let your mind be transformed, renewed by the world, molded by the world, but renewed by the word of God. And so there's been a slow march. As scriptures, as the truth of God's word began to be dismantled from the, the priority in the life of the church, and authority in the life of the church, the mind in those settings were no longer or the conscience shaped by God's word. And then it became okay to accept things that are unfitting, unnatural, and the church, and then the culture. Make no mistake, it began in the church. It began in the church. Number four, listen to this. Carl Truman, Carl Truman in his book, Strange New Worlds, in his book, Strange New World, opens, listen to this, he opens with the thought that it's as if we are trapped in a world where nothing behaves in quite the way we expect. He says, it's as if we are Alice in Wonderland or in the Matrix, or like in the Matrix series of movies. Or I would add to his list, Orwell's novel, 1984, but Truman writes this. Listen to his words. This is what Truman says. Quote, Yet this phenomenon is no longer confined to the fictional products of our day. For many people, the Western world in which we now live is a profoundly confusing and often disturbing. It has an often disturbing quality to it. Things, listen to this, things once regarded as obvious, unassailable virtues have in recent years been subject to vigorous criticisms and even in some cases come to be seen by many as more akin to vices. Indeed, he says, it can can seem as if things that almost everybody believed as unquestioned. Orthodoxy the day before yesterday that marriage is to be between one man and one woman, for example, are now regarded as heresies advocated, advocated only by the dangerous and lunatic fringe. Strange New World by Carl Truman. That's a helpful resource. He will take you back more than a century and describe the philosophical thought, the things that happened from Darwin to Freud and to what has moved us into, as it's pressed into the universities, the schools, to the sexual revolution, the civil rights movement, has penetrated to the educational system. Into business and government, and to where we are today. Just to get an idea, I mean, just imagine, the creative order is clear. Male and female, I've made them. They, they complement one another by very design. They are, they, only that can be fruitful and multiply. And if you were dare to declare that male and female alone are actual marriage and husband and wife, we are now considered the lunatic fringe. Just to to let it settle in, as I read Truman's statement, I challenge you to do this and then it will really sink in. I challenge you, when you go home today, just sit down and take a pad and pen or pencil, and I challenge you to make a list, make 10 sentences that 20 years ago would make no sense or make no sense to your grandparents. And they're said all the time by government leaders and across the media. For example, you imagine saying to your grandparents, you know, the two married men who live next to me. You imagine your grandparents go, he must have misspoke. He, he, didn't, he didn't mean that. No one, that's, that's crazy talk. Or are, are this, my, my, tran- my granddaughter is transgender and will receive affirming care where she'll have surgery to become a male and receive hormone-blocking do- drugs. 15 years ago, to, to our grandparents, that would have been insane, incomprehensible. And yet now, if you do not affirm that, you're the lunatic fringe. You see what's happened? Or this, how about when the, the United States secretary assistant for health is a man who believes he's a woman and a man's body, Are in a woman's body, or a woman in a man's body, and is wearing a dress to publicly publicize that climate change is an unduly unduly affecting the black community. That happened this week, and that's by design. Because if you deny climate change, you're a racist. You see, that's always that's always the backdrop. That's that's our fallback position. This is what they do. Again, three helpful resources. Strange New World by Carl Truman. Five lies. Secondly, five lies of our anti-Christian age. Rosaria Butterfield. Her her newest stuff is better than her older stuff. She pulls no punches in five lies to the anti-Christian age. Number three... What, what does the Bible really teach about homosexuality? Kevin DeYoung, number four, the larger book that most of you probably won't read. So read the smaller one, *Strange New World*. It's the fourth one is *The Rise and the Triumph of the Modern Self* by Carl Truman, a rather thick book. But let me say this again: even conservative writers and what we might think of as conservative Christians. This has been so subtle that we've been in the pot, the bowling pot, and the temperature's turned up that sometimes we're saying things, all of us, that are just not accurate and correct. We've read through. Let me give you an example, and then I'll close things up here. Let me give you an example so that we begin just to have some insight of how deceived and the work of the devil has been on a broad level. As you read through the sins here in chapter 1 of Romans out of all these sins have you noticed that these are things that people do? These are Sins. But now we've entered a time where sins are being spoken of in a communal way. Even conservative writers will say stuff like the LGBTQ plus community. Let that sink in, community. We're adopting language that they put out there. I mean, are we going to start saying the covetous community, the full of envy community, the murder committed community, the strife, deceit, the evil-mindedness community, the haters of God community? I mean, what other sin do we do that with? We don't do that. That movement early on attached itself to the civil rights movement. Rainbow coalition, rainbow as a sign, it, they, they quickly attached themselves to this. And once you use the word community, you're, it sounds like people group, and you can't discriminate against a people group. Are you're bullying. This all, this all was step by step. They just went, "We'll take that, we'll take that, we'll take that," and have pushed it forward. And it's headstrong in the politics. They've taken over the media, and and Hollywood. The biggest promoter of the LGBTQ plus movement, I'm convinced, is the U.S. federal government. And if you think one political party is going to stand a little more against it than the other, you're, you're, you're probably mistaken because one is being very quiet about it. That used to be more vocal about it. Nothing is being spoken about the family anymore. This just Quiet. But here we are. Let me say this. I'm convinced, I'm convinced this can only happen typically in, a, in an affluent society like ours where you have too much time and money. Primitive cultures, they laugh at such behavior and don't have time for this. They're trying to put food on the table, and they don't have time for the craziness. Eventually, I do think that natural law will kick in. It does. It's law. It's in us. It will eventually kick in. And the real lunatic fringe, it will be seen and evident. But we're not there yet. But as Christ's church, our mission is to continue to stay the course. Where things seem to be unstable, nothing is clear. Everything is falling and shaking apart. We are to be the people that are standing soundly and strongly upon God's word. And the faith that has been once and for all delivered into the saints. As I said to Bob, one of our former Marines this morning, hold the line. Hold the line. Stand firmly upon the ground of God's word. Let us boldly proclaim it to our loved ones and friends who are deceived that they need Christ to the nation that needs Christ. There are very few laws, very few politicians that we will be able to elect that's going to turn this. It will have to be faithful preaching, faithful heralding of the gospel in the church and outside of the church. And it's going to take time and be hard work. But let's continue with the task. This morning, we've heard the gospel. The gospel is that Christ, Christ, the son of God, has died for our sins on the cross and gives us eternal life received by faith and faith alone. It's found in his word. There is salvation. We see it in the table. We come to the table this morning and there is. The bread and the wine, his broken body symbolized in the broken bread. His blood symbolized in the cup and the cup that he drank for us of God's wrath. For us that are believers, we come here, we remember, we are reminded, we hold with our hands, we taste with our mouth the promises of God that are found in the gospel in this table. And so let us eat. And let us drink, let us celebrate the promise of the new covenant and forgiveness of sin and life eternal that is is found here. Let us pray. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Covenant Reformed Baptist Church, Warrington, Virginia. If you live in Northern Virginia, please join us for worship this Sunday. For more information, please visit us online at covenantrbc.org.